Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Bible Reading Podcast, episode number 205. Today's big Bible question, why did Jesus first forgive the paralytic? You know, instead of healing him. So, hello, friends. Happy Monday to you. I hope you had a blessed Lord's Day yesterday. Our church was back to online church only for this week, but next week we are meeting again together outdoors, which logistically might be a little bit difficult, but it's just going to be awesome, and I can't wait for that. Today's Bible readings include Judges chapter 3, Acts chapter 7, Jeremiah 16, and Mark 2. Now, Mark 2 is a fantastic passage of Scripture, and it features Jesus doing something incredibly counterintuitive to us that really becomes an astonishing teaching of his uh, that points to why Jesus did what he did. So in Mark 2, Jesus does something really, really, really unexpected and, and illogical, honestly, to us. Let's read Mark 2 and see if you can kind of discern why he does what he does. Mark chapter 2, verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. When Jesus entered Capernaum again after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So many people gathered together that there was no more room, not even the doorway, and he was speaking the word to them. They came to him bringing a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they were not able to bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, and after digging through it, they lowered the mat on which the paralytic was lying. Seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does he speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Right away, Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were thinking like this within themselves and said to them, why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take up your mat, and walk, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins? He told the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately, he got up, took the mat, and went out in front of everyone. As a result, they were all astounded and gave glory to God, saying, We've never seen anything like this. Jesus went out again beside the sea. The whole crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. Then passing by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, Follow me. And he got up and followed him. While he was reclining at the table in Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who were following him. When the scribes who were Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard this, he told them, It's not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, People came and asked him, Why do John's disciples and the Pharisees' disciples fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, The wedding guests cannot fast while the groom is with them, can they? As long as they have the groom with them, they cannot fast. But the time will come when the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast on that day. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new patch pulls away from the old cloth and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the wine will burst. The skins and the wine is lost as well as the skins. No new wine is put into fresh wineskins. On the Sabbath he was going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to make their way, picking some heads of grain. 
The Pharisee said to him, Look, why are you doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David and those who were with him did when he was in need and hungry, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for anyone except the priests, and also gave some to his companions? Then he told them, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So then, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So, I think the first thing we should notice here, that there was a large crowd listening to Jesus and drawn to him. In fact, throughout his ministry, he was very, very popular with the people, thousands of them listening to him at one time. And that begs a question, or it brings up a question, I should say. How is it then, at the end of his ministry, his followers numbered only approximately 120? And the fact is that to be in the crowd of people who like Jesus and listen to his teaching does not make you or them followers of Jesus. The great danger we see right now in American Christianity is when people think they are disciples of Jesus because they like and listen to him or they go to church, but in reality, they're just part of the crowd. Jesus was popular and well-liked, except by the elite, but that's not the same as repenting, following him, having faith in him, or obeying him. So I'm going to ask a question, and I've already asked it in the title, but I'm going to ask it even more pointed. And I wanted us all to understand how important the question was to Jesus. It's important to realize that it was this act of Jesus with the paralytic which started him, in a very human sense, on the road to the cross. In forgiving the paralytic sins, first and obviously, Jesus showed the leaders of Israel that he was claiming to be God. What was their response? Blasphemy. Why was Jesus crucified? Blasphemy. In all four Gospels, Jesus is condemned as worthy of death for the sin of blasphemy because he claimed to be God. You see it in Mark fourteen sixty four. You've heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him, struck him with their fists, and said, Prophesy, and the guards took him and beat him. So, here's the question. Why did Jesus forgive the man's sins first? Think about it. This man is so critically ill that he needs four guys to carry him and move him around. He's a paralytic. He's paralyzed. We expect Jesus to just quickly heal the man, but he doesn't. Now, I believe the answer to our big Bible question is that Jesus forgave this man first because that was his first and foremost need. Everybody, especially the guy himself, thought that his greatest need was able to, was to be able to walk. Well, what do you think your greatest need is right now? I know there's a lot of things I think I need right now, but honestly, my greatest need is a relationship with God, and I believe that's your greatest need too. And the greatest hindrance to our greatest need is my sin and your sin, even as a Christian. How magnificent is it that Jesus on the cross forgave my sin? Our greatest need as humans is pardon for sin. Our sins have condemned us. They have closed the door to hell for us. Just, I mean, sorry, they closed the door to heaven for us. Just one sin has barred entrance to heaven for us. So I want you to think about this and really ponder it. Do you believe that? Do you believe that forgiveness of sin is humanity's greatest need? Do you believe it's your greatest need? If not, well, let me push you a little bit. 
Um, if your mind rebels at the thought that pardon for sin, forgiveness for sin is your greatest need, then it may be that you don't fully understand the gospel yet. For instance, Ephesians 5, 5 says, you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God. And that's me. I've been sexually impure. I've been covetous. I've been an idolater. I haven't worshipped like wooden figures or anything, but I've put things in front of God. And that means I'm barred from entering into the kingdom of heaven. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 makes it a little more clearly. Uh, Or do not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. I've been unrighteous. My greatest need, and yours, is forgiveness of sin. Jesus puts it like this in Matthew 5, 20. I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Now, you might say, well, me, I try to do good. I help people. I don't do a lot of bad things. I try to be a good person. Well, Galatians 3.10 would say to you, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse because it's written, everyone who does not continue doing everything written in the book of the law is cursed. So if you try to be a good person and think that's the thing that's going to get you into heaven, the question is, have you done everything written in the book of the law and not done anything forbidden in the book of the law? Well, look, I sure haven't, not even today, much less my whole life. So the fact is, our sins and impurities, bad news, have barred us from eternal life and joy in heaven. But there's good news. Romans 5.8 says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now that's the good news. And our greatest need is not healing or health or success. Those may be important in some ways. But our greatest need is that we might know God, be forgiven by him, and be saved for eternal life. So let's ask Tim Keller to bring the point home for us. And Keller says, Jesus goes over to the paralytic and doesn't say, Rise, get up, take up your mat and walk. He goes over to the man and first says, son, that's very tender, by the way. He says, son, your sins are forgiven. I would like to think that some of the paralytic friends might have said, all right, good, I guess. That's always a good thing. But anyone with eyes in his head should see that our friend here has a slightly more urgent, a little more immediate problem than forgiveness of sins. And Jesus is saying to their questioning, look, no, he doesn't. We're going to learn here that Jesus is saying that there's nothing more basic and needed than a right relationship with God. Physical health, material prosperity, those are good things, great things maybe, but nothing is more important than having a right relationship with God, being reconciled to God. Nothing. Notice something. Jesus does eventually heal the man, does he not? Neither the Bible in general nor Jesus in particular teach that the body is just the prison house of the soul, that this life doesn't matter, that we shouldn't deal with suffering and disease and poverty. We should just fix our eyes on the beyond and wait to escape this terrible dark world. No, the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible does teach we should seek to alleviate suffering and to help the poor and the needy and the sick. But there is a higher priority. The Bible says God created both soul and body. He's going to redeem a soul and body. That's what the resurrection is all about. Jesus does heal the man. He does do physical healing. 
our future is a material, physical future, not just heaven. We're going to have a new heavens and a new earth. There's every indication that the Bible takes the body and the physical and our material well-being, even on earth, very seriously. But as significant as they are, they are not primary. They are not most important. Jesus is saying that there's something beyond this life that is more important than this life, and you don't con- if, if you don't connect to that thing that is more important than life, you won't live your life well. What you and I need more than anything else is a right relationship with God as Father because our sins are forgiven. We need to be reconciled to God more than we need anything else. It is the single most urgent need. If it hasn't happened to you, then it's the one healing that has to happen before any other healing can happen. So that's what we learned from this big surprise of Jesus. Those who brought this man to Jesus are surely thinking, why in the world are you forgiving this guy's sins when he's paralyzed? And Jesus is saying to us, it's because you need that more than you need to get up and walk. That is a challenging truth that we need to hear. Forgiveness of sins is paramount. Judges chapter 3 verse 1. Oh, and wait, we're about to hear one of my favorite stories in the Bible. It's got uh, intrigue and spying and action and stabbing and funny stuff and people sitting on toilets and all sorts of things. So this is going to be great when we get to Ehud. Judges 3 verse 1. These are the nations that the Lord left in order to test all those in Israel who had experienced none of the wars in Canaan. This was to teach the future generations of the Israelites how to fight in battle, especially those who had not fought before. These nations included the five rulers of the Philistines and all of the Canaanites, the Sidonians, and the Hivites who lived in the Lebanese mountain from Mount Baal, Hermon, as far as the entrance to Hamath. The Lord left them to test Israel to determine... If they would keep the Lord's commands, he had given their ancestors through Moses. But they settled among the Canaanites, Hethites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. The Israelites took their daughters as wives for themselves, gave their own daughters to their sons, and worshipped their gods. The Israelites did what was evil in the Lord's sight. They forgot the Lord their God and worshipped the Baals and the Asherahs. The Lord's anger burned against Israel, and he sold them to King Cushan, Rishathim of Aram Naharim, and the Israelites served him eight years. The Israelites cried out to the Lord, so the Lord raised up Othniel, son of Kenaz, Caleb's youngest brother, as a deliverer to save the Israelites. The Spirit of the Lord came on him, and he judged Israel. Othniel went out to battle, and the Lord handed over King Cushan Rishathim of Aram to him, so that Othniel overpowered him. Then the land had peace for forty years, and Othniel, son of Kenaz, died. The Israelites again did what was evil in the Lord's sight. He gave Eglon, king of Moab, power over Israel, because they had done what was evil in the Lord's sight. After Eglon convinced the Ammonites and the Amalekites to join forces with him, he attacked and defeated Israel and took possession of the city of Palms. The Israelites served King Eglon of Moab 18 years. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord, and he raised up Ehud, son of Gera, a left-handed Benjaminite, as a deliverer for them. The Israelites sent him with a tribute for King Eglon of Moab. Ehud made himself a double-edged sword 18 inches long. He strapped it to his right thigh under his clothes and brought the tribute to King Eglon of Moab, who was an extremely fat man. When Ehud had finished presenting the tribute, 
He dismissed the people who had carried it. At the carved images near Gilgal, he returned and said, King Eglon, I have a secret message for you. The king said, Silence! And all his attendants left him. Then Ehud approached him while he was sitting alone in his upstairs room where it was cool. Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. And the king stood up from his throne. Ehud reached with his left hand, took the sword from his right thigh, and plunged it into Eglon's belly. Even the handle went in after the blade, and Eglon's fat closed in over it, so that Ehud did not withdraw the sword from his belly, and the waste came out. Ehud escaped by way of the porch, closing and locking the doors of the upstairs room behind him. Ehud was gone when Eglon's servants came in. They looked and found the doors of the upstairs room locked and thought he was relieving himself in the cool room. The servants waited until they became embarrassed and saw that he had still not opened the doors of the upstairs room, so they took the key and opened the doors, and there was their lord lying dead on the floor. Ehud escaped while the servants waited. He passed the Jordan near the carved images and reached Sarah. After he arrived, he sounded the ram's horn throughout the hill country of Ephraim. The Israelites came with him from the hill country, and he became their leader. He told them, Follow me, because the Lord has handed over your enemies, the Moabites, to you. So they followed him, captured the fords of the Jordan leading to Moab, and did not allow anyone to cross over. At that time, they struck down about 10,000 Moabites, all stout and able-bodied men. Not one of them escaped. Moab became subject to Israel that day, and the Lord had, land had peace for eighty years. After Ehud, Shamgar, son of Anath, became judge. He also delivered Israel, striking down six hundred Philistines with a cattle prod. Jeremiah chapter 16. The word of the Lord came to me, Do not marry or have sons or daughters in this place, for this is what the Lord says concerning sons and daughters born in this place, as well as concerning the mothers who bear them, and the fathers who father them in this land. They will die from deadly diseases. They will not be mourned or buried, but will be like manure on the soil surface. They will be finished off by sword and famine. Their corpses will become food for the birds of the sky and the wild animals of the land. For this is what the Lord says, Don't enter a house where a mourning feast is taking place. Don't go to lament or sympathize with them, for I have removed my peace from these people as well as my faithful love and compassion. This is the Lord's declaration. Both great and small will die in this land without burial. No lament will be made for them, nor will anyone cut himself or shave his head for them. Food won't be provided for the mourner to comfort him because of the dead. A consoling drink won't be given him for the loss of his father or mother. Do not enter the house where feasting is taking place to sit with them to eat and drink. For this is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel, says, I am about to eliminate from this place before your eyes and in your time the sound of joy and gladness, the voice of the groom and the bride. When you tell these people all these things, they will say to you, Why has the Lord declared all this terrible disaster against us? What is our iniquity? What is our sin that we have committed against the Lord our God? Then you will answer him, Then, because your ancestors abandoned me, this is the Lord's declaration, and followed other gods, served them, and bowed and worshipped them. Indeed, they abandoned me and did not keep my instruction. You did more evil than your ancestors. Look, each one of you is following the stubbornness of his evil heart, not obeying me. So I will hurl you from this land into a land that you and your ancestors have not known. There you will worship other gods both day and night, for I will not grant you grace. However, 
Look, the days are coming, the Lord's declaration, when it will no longer be said, as the Lord lives who brought the Israelites from the land of Egypt, but rather, as the Lord lives who brought the Israelites from the land of the north and from all the other lands where he had banished them, for I will return them to their land that I gave to their ancestors. I am about to send for many fishermen, this is the Lord's declaration, and they will fish for them. Then I will send for many hunters, and they will hunt them down on every mountain and hill out of the clefts of the rocks, for my gaze takes in all their ways. They am not concealed from me, and their iniquity is not hidden from my sight. I will first repay them double for their iniquity and sin, because they have polluted my land. They have filled my inheritance with the carcasses of their abhorrent and detestable idols. Lord, my strength and my stronghold, my refuge in a time of distress, the nations will come to you from the ends of the earth, and they will say, Our ancestors inherited only lies, worthless idols of no benefit at all. Can one make gods for himself? But they are not gods. Therefore, I am about to inform them, and this time I will make them know my power and my might. Then they will know that my name is the Lord. Acts chapter 7 verse 1. Are these things true? The high priest asked. Brothers and fathers, he replied, listen. The glory of God appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he settled in Haran and said to him, leave your country and relatives and come to the land that I will show you. Then he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. From there, after his father died, God had him move to this land in which you are now living. He didn't give him an inheritance in it, not even a foot of ground, but he promised to give it to him as a possession and to his descendants after him, even though he was childless. God spoke in this way. His descendants would be strangers in a foreign country and they would enslave and oppress them for 400 years. I will judge the nation that they will serve as slaves, God said. After this, they will come out and worship me in this place. And so he gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision. After this, he fathered Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. Isaac became the father of Jacob, and Jacob became the father of the twelve patriarchs. The patriarchs became jealous of Joseph and sold him into Egypt, but God was with him and rescued him out of all his troubles. He gave him favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who appointed him ruler over Egypt and over his whole household. Now a famine and great suffering came over all of Egypt and Canaan, and our ancestors could find no food. When Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent our ancestors there the first time. The second time, Joseph revealed himself to his brothers, and Joseph's families became known to Pharaoh. Joseph invited his father Jacob and all his relatives, 75 people in all, and Jacob went down to Egypt. He and our ancestors died there were carried back to Shechem and were placed in the tomb that Abraham had brought for a sum of silver from the sons of Hamor in Shechem. As the time was approaching to fulfill the promise that God made to Abraham, the people flourished and multiplied in Egypt until a different king who did not know Joseph ruled over Egypt. He dealt deceitfully with our race and oppressed our ancestors by making them abandon their infants outside so they wouldn't survive. At this time, Moses was born and he was beautiful in God's sight. He was cared for in his father's home for three months. When he was put outside, Pharaoh's daughter adopted and raised him as her own son. So Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in his speech and actions. When he was 40 years old, he decided to visit his own people, the Israelites. When he saw one of them being mistreated, he came to his rescue and avenged the oppressed man by striking down the Egyptian. He assumed his people would understand that God would give them deliverance through him, but they did not understand. 
The next day he showed up while they were fighting and tried to reconcile them peacefully, saying, Men, you are brothers. Why are you mistreating each other? But the one who was mistreating his neighbor pushed Moses aside, saying, Who appointed you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me the same way you killed the Egyptian yesterday? When he heard this, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. After forty years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in the flame of a burning bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight, and he was approaching to look at it. The voice of the Lord came. I am the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. And Moses began to tremble and did not dare to look. And the Lord said to him, Take off the sandals from your feet, because the place where you are standing is holy ground. I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their groaning and have come down to set them free. And now I come, I w- and now come, I will send you to Egypt. This Moses, whom they rejected when they said, Who appointed you a ruler and a judge? This one God sent as a ruler and a deliverer through the angel who appeared to him in the bush. This man led them out and performed wonders and signs in the land of Egypt to the Red Sea and in the wilderness for forty years. This was Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up a prophet like me from among your brothers. He is the one who is in the assembly in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our ancestors. He received living oracles to give us. Our ancestors were unwilling to obey him. Instead, they pushed him aside and in their hearts turned back to Egypt. They told Aaron, Make us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. They even made a calf in those days, offering a sacrifice to the idol, and were celebrating what their hands had made. God turned away and gave them to the worship of the stars of heaven, as it is written in the book of the prophets, House of Israel, did you bring me offerings and sacrifices for forty years in the wilderness? You took took up the tent of Molech and the star of your god Raphan, the images that you made to worship. So I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. Our ancestors had the tabernacle of the testimony in the wilderness, just as he who spoke to Moses commanded him to make it according to the pattern he had seen. Our ancestors in turn received it, and with Joshua brought it in when they dispossessed the nations that God had drove out before them until the days of David. He found favor in God's sight and asked that he might provide a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. It was Solomon, rather, who built him a house, but the Most High does not dwell in sanctuaries made with hands, as the prophet says, Heaven is my throne and the earth my footstool. What sort of house will you build for me, says the Lord, or what will be my resting place? Did not my hand make all these things? You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you are always resisting the Holy Spirit. As your ancestor did, you did also. Which of the prophets did your ancestors not persecute? They even killed those who foretold the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. You received the law under the direction of angels and have not kept it. When they heard these things, they were enraged and gnashed their teeth at them. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven. He saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. They yelled at the top of their voices, covered their ears, and together rushed against him. They dragged him up out of the city and began to stone him. And the witnesses laid their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And after saying this, he fell asleep. Thank you, Lord, for that faithful martyr. Good day, friends, and Godspeed.